Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. Reading from Exodus chapter 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from 2 Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, in the glorious transfiguration of your beloved Son, you confirmed the mysteries of the faith by the testimony of Moses and Elijah. 
In the voice that came from the bright cloud, you wonderfully foreshadowed our adoption by grace. Mercifully make us co-heirs with the King in his glory and bring us to the fullness of our inheritance in heaven. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we have set before us this morning the marvelous festival of the transfiguration of our Lord, and we ought to ask, as we ought to ask generally of the scriptures, what does this mean? What is the purpose, the function of the transfiguration of our Lord on the holy mountain? Now, there's a couple of kind of normal answers we tend to give to this. Um, is it to show forth God's glory? Well, maybe. Makes a little bit of sense because the transfiguration caps off the season of Epiphany in which the Lord is showing forth his glory to us. That's true. Certainly, he's shining there in his glory. But we ought to remember that God has also connected his glory to his name. As he tells us in the Old Testament, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my worship to false idols. Or that his glory is connected to his cross. When he prays in the garden, that he would be glorified, and the Father answers. It's one of the three times, in fact, that we have the voice of the Father from heaven. We have it at his baptism, we have it at his transfiguration, and we have it in the garden as Jesus is praying uh, concerning his hour to come. And the Father says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again, namely referring to our Lord's crucifixion. And then we also have his glory being connected to his word, which is where we definitely want to go this morning. The other question we tend to give to the reason for the transfiguration is that it's, it's there to give some sort of mountaintop experience to Peter and James and John to uh, to encourage them, maybe, or, or something like this. But uh, we should remember that this is not how the Lord tends to work in the scriptures, that these sorts of miracles are rather rare, that he encourages us and strengthens us in a myriad of other ways, which we may not always pay attention to, but are immensely greater than having the Lord being transfigured before us. And those sorts of things can fade from us, which is why the Lord reminds us, for example, in First John, that when our heart convicts us, we should remember that God is greater than our hearts. Namely, that when our emotions tell us something that is not necessarily comporting with what God is telling us in the scriptures, either for good or for ill. So because we tend to generally not understand the transfiguration of our Lord super well, we fall into a couple of temptations regarding it. Um, either the temptation that we would be strengthened if we could only experience these things ourselves, if only Jesus would pop into our, into our midst on Sunday morning and be transfigured in front of us like he was in the mountain, then our faith would be so greatly strengthened that we would never think of denying him or any of these sorts of things. Or conversely, in, in a similar sort of vein, that if Jesus would just pop, pop in on the mountain, uh, uh, maybe uh, you know, here at the, the top of the um, uh, Capernelli, I know I mispronounced that, but the big giant tower over at KU, um, that if he were to just pop up on the top of that and transfigure himself for all of Lawrence, and all of Lawrence would be converted and we'd, we'd be great. And neither of these are true. 
The transfiguration, one of the things that it reminds us in a rather interesting way is that seeing is not believing. That one, we should remember that Peter, James, and John already believe in the Lord Christ when they're there with him on the mountain. And he doesn't do this for everybody, just this inner circle of apostles. But we also have this throughout the scriptures. We have, for example, Jesus reminding us in the rich man and Lazarus uh, that seeing is not believing. La uh, the rich man is pleading that Lazarus would be sent to his brother so that they would repent. And Abraham's response at the end is, they have Moses and the prophets. If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe should someone rise from the dead. Even the resurrection from the dead will not convert hearts if those hearts are not converted by the Lord's word. We have this also at the Lord's resurrection when he comes to Thomas. You remember Thomas has been out getting groceries or something, and so he comes back a week later, and Thomas places his hands into his side and into his fingers and whatnot, and he gives this marvelous confession that we echo, my Lord and my God, and Jesus gives a little bit of a rebuke to Thomas. Do you believe because you have seen? Blessed, rather, are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are you, dear saints, because you have been brought to faith apart from seeing the risen Lord Christ, been brought to faith according to his word. This is, this is this broad theme in the scriptures that we get, that we live not by our eyes, but by our ears, that we walk by faith and not by sight, that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, not, not through our eyes. Uh, this is something that Luther hits on quite a bit, that he talks about how we, we learn to see by faith through our ears. Now, this, this is everywhere, in fact, in our lives. This is how we learn to view marriage, for example, that marriage is uh, one flesh with each other. Um, even though I'm up here and Michelle is in the pew and we're not actually physically connected to each other, we learn to see that we are, in fact, one flesh because God's word has decreed that. We see this also with baptism, that even though all we see physically is water as we pour it, before the eye of faith unfolds all these other things, we, that it saves you, that it buries you and raises you with Christ, that it clothes you with Christ, all the wonderful promises that the scriptures give to us. We see this in the blessed sacrament of the altar, that all we see is bread and wine, but by faith we learn to see that here the Lord is feeding you with his very body and his very blood, to forgive you, to strengthen you in your faith, and to strengthen you in your love towards one another. We see this in suffering. We learn to view suffering this way. As St. Paul reminds us that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison, that we learn to rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And we learn to see Jesus even in the same way, because outside of his transfiguration, he doesn't look all that resplendent. He doesn't look all that great, this is what the prophet Isaiah prophesied of him, that he has no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should behold him or desire him. And all of this we have, all these things, we learn to see Jesus as being beautiful on account of the words that he speaks. And this is true for everything in our lives as Christians. All these things we have by faith through the word of God. And as we have because we have certainty in these things, or we have certainty in these things, because we have certainty that God is the one who's actually spoken them to us. And that's what St. Peter is reminding us of in the transfiguration. So we're going to start there and remember what St. Peter says about this. That he starts out by talking 
about how he and Peter, or he and James and John are on the Mount of Transfiguration and they behold the Lord in all of his glory and they hear the voice of the majestic, the, the majestic voice born from the heavens. This is my beloved son, etc. He recounts this whole deal and, and he's connecting this to, we, we did not uh, preach to you cleverly devised myths. We, we aren't making this stuff up, he's saying. We were actually there. We beheld this with our own eyes. It's the same way that St. John starts out his epistle, that that which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have touched with our hands, he's saying, I was there. I'm not making this stuff up. And St. Peter is saying the exact same thing. I was there on the holy mountain. I saw this actually happen. But then he makes this interesting shift. He doesn't keep talking about the transfiguration. He says that we have something even better. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Or some translation will say, we have something more sure than what we saw on the majestic mountain. That is, we have the scriptures. That which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the morning star arises in your hearts. That is, until the Lord brings about faith. He's not preaching cleverly devised myths or the words of random men, but the very voice of the majestic glory itself, the very words of the Holy Scriptures. That's his point, that there's something better than the transfiguration, and it is the Bible. That the Bible is not something that's made up by men. It is the very words of the Holy Spirit given to men to write down in accordance with God's will, and that's what makes it majestic, and that's what makes it more certain than having Jesus pop in front of you and be transfigured, or even just pop in front of you in general. Now, we have another example of this importance, and th this is actually why this text is paired with the Festival of the Transfiguration, and that's with Moses as he's going up on the mountain, and his face is shining because he's been speaking with God, and then he comes down and he speaks to the people of Israel, and he puts a veil over his face. But you should note that in that text, he puts the veil over his face after he has finished speaking. He comes down and his face is shining as evidence that he's actually been talking with the Lord of creation himself and that these words that he's relaying to them are not his own opinions about things. They are the very words of God himself. They are the words of the majestic glory. And that's why his face is shining as evidence of what he's saying to be true. And all of this at the end points us back into what's happening in the transfiguration. Why the transfiguration is so important as a festival for the church. Because everything in the transfiguration is pointing us to this great reality that we are to listen to the voice of God, to the majestic glory in the scriptures. And, and every piece of the transfiguration is, is doing this. So we, we start with the shining of Jesus. Jesus is there and he's transfigured. His face is shining like the sun and his clothes become radiant, radiantly bright. Um, St. Mark gives the, the detail that they were whiter than any bleacher on earth could bleach them. And so what's happening here is this is referencing back into the Old Testament where the Lord himself appears in this radiantly white uh, clothing, this radiantly white glory shining. We have this in the book of Revelation as well, as we've been talking about on Sunday mornings in Bible study, that this is a reference back to the God of the Old Testament, that that same God is now standing in front of you here today. And it's also connected with the cloud that overshadows them. The, the, the language of the cloud being uh, bright, as 
as light and the, the shining of Jesus's face is the exact same words there in the Greek, that the same brightness that's coming from the cloud is the same brightness that's coming from Jesus's face itself. That is this glory cloud, which is what it is, that was in the Old Testament, that was the sign of God's physical presence in the temple and on the holy mountain, that brightness that gets imparted to Moses' face, that same brightness is coming from Jesus, which is indicating the God who is there in the temple, the God who is there on the holy mountain, who is speaking to Moses, is the same God who's now standing in front of you today. So it's making that link. And then you have the speaking of Moses and Elijah, and not to get too much into the weeds on this, that the thing to notice here, why Moses and Elijah? It's because these are the two guys that are on Mount Sinai talking to God. That's their commonality. And so what's being relayed here is that the same God that talks to Moses on the mountain and the same God that talks to Elijah on the mountain is the same God who's standing in front of Peter and James and John. And then the capstone of the whole thing is that the Father's voice comes out of the cloud and it makes a statement. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then everything else goes away. The only thing you have left is Jesus only at the end of the day. Jesus and his word, which is everything the church needs. And that's what's being taught to Peter and James and John there. Because you remember, Peter starts getting really excited and says, hey, we should build uh, three tents. We should build one for Moses and Elijah and, and for you, Lord. And he's not listening as he is very apt to do, as we are all very apt to do. He gets excited about all the external stuff. And so the Lord gives us corrective. No, listen to Jesus. And particularly, we know from the surrounding context what it is that we are to listen to Jesus about. Now, the caveat to this is the entirety of the scriptures. Jesus is the voice of the entirety of the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, not just the red letters. His is the voice that is echoing throughout all of it. He is the word who has made flesh. But right around the context of the transfiguration, right before they go up onto the mount and right after they come down from the mount, Jesus preaches this sermon that is basically identical. So right before, he says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned aside and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That is, Peter's not listening to Jesus. And so they go up on the holy mountain, and the Father says, Listen to him. And they come back down, and after casting out a demon, Jesus gives this another, an, another sermon. Just a few verses later. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered to the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. This is the chief preaching of Jesus. This is the chief preaching of the entirety of scriptures. That Jesus will, in his love for us, suffer at the hands of sinful men. And he will, in his love for us, be crucified on a cross. And he will, in his love for us, be buried in a tomb. And he will, in his love for us, be raised on the third day for our salvation and for our justification. For us, for you, dear saints, because he loves you. 
and that in these things, and not in the transfiguration on the mountain, that in his crucifixion to atone for the sins of humanity, that that is where we are to behold his glory. And every time he comes, he preaches this to us through the liturgy, and he preaches it to us through the hymns, and he preaches it to us through the scriptures and hopefully through the sermon, and he preaches it to us through the absolution and through baptism and through the blessed sacrament of the altar, Every time he preaches this to us, that he has been glorified in his death and his resurrection to atone for our sins and to bring us into everlasting life with him. And here in his preaching to us, we have words that are more sure and more certain and more glorious than if Jesus himself were to be standing in front of us physically right now, transfigured in all of his glory as on the mountain. Because in the scriptures we have a more sure and a more certain word. And that word we can carry with us at all times, in our hearts, in our minds, in our consciences, that it would be on our lips and in our ears, that we are always encouraged by it, that we are always being strengthened by it, that we are always being confirmed in the faith through it until the Lord returns in the fullness of his glory, fulfilling all that he has spoken to us. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider going over to the Patreon page and supporting through that. You can find links to that and other pages in the podcast notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.